Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Time for another edition of the Blue White Breakdown. Penn's, Penn Live's Penn State football podcast. It's a daily podcast. I'm Bob Founders, joined by uh, Greg Pickle, who is furiously drinking water, I believe, uh, to get his Tuesday uh, restarted. Just heard from James Franklin and his Tuesday news conference. Uh, just remember, guys, that we have on a podcast every day, whether it's Greg and I, Dave Jones and I, or Dustin Hawkinsmith doing some stuff in the morning. Uh, you can always catch the latest up-to-date Penn State football news in season on the blue white breakdown, Greg pickle, you look fantastic on this Tuesday. We're in December. Hard to believe it. Feels like only a couple weeks ago, it was like 75 degrees out and, you know, shorts, weather outside stuff. And it's definitely not 75 degrees today, Greg, but let's talk about the press conference. Let's talk about uh, James Franklin's thoughts. It's Rutgers week. Um, Penn state's dominated Rutgers uh, pretty good over the course of the series I think they're like 28 and 2 or something like that they're going it's going to be a noon kick in Piscataway we made fun of the betting line last week Greg and we paid dearly for it we didn't understand it and Penn State pretty pretty much won that game handily against Michigan 27-17 lo and behold Penn State is a 10 point favorite at Rutgers Rutgers has two wins which is double the amount of wins that Penn State has they just won at one at Purdue but James Franklin let's let's get to it um Let's just okay. Let's. It's not a big. It's not a big deal. But let's start with some injury news. Uh, you know, we are we're, we are podcasting from Harrisburg. There's a local player on the Penn State roster. Uh, he was hoping to be a key reserve linebacker, Charlie Catcher. But we've seen less and less of him, Greg, and more and more of a freshman named Curtis Jacobs. I think we found out why uh, on Tuesday. Yeah, James Franklin revealing that Charlie Catcher did suffer a season-ending injury. The last time he suited up, Bob, was the Nebraska game. So uh, Joe Herman did have some photos on the field uh, of him on the field prior to, I think it was the Michigan game. So I'm not sure when this happened or what led to it. But, yeah, Catcher out for the year now. Disappointing because he was playing probably as much as he ever has in blue and white on defense. He earned some special teams reps in prior seasons, but now as a redshirt sophomore, he was working in more consistently with Brent prize unit. Unfortunately, that's no longer going to be the case this year. We'll see what he can build on next year, but Bob, it's just, and I know that, you know, the impact of Charlie catcher being out for the year is not the same as journey Brown or Noah Kane or Micah Parsons. Obviously that was an opt out or Pat Fryermuth who had season ending surgery, but you know, they had three corners available at, uh, at, against, um, Oh, against Michigan, obviously. Um, you know, they had three corners available there. There's some guys who we have not seen make the trip that usually make the trip or guys to make the trip and go through warm-ups and then do not play, even though they're on si- on the sideline in pads. Bob, it just feels like there are more guys banged up this year than ever before in a James Franklin-led season. I guess part of that's probably just pandemic-related and missing a lot of the time in the offseason, but – I don't know if it's bad luck or what, but they certainly are uh, rarely, uh, you know, rarely completely healthy, it seems, each week. 
Yeah, and you mentioned corners. I know you asked James about the three corners. The three corners that played <clears throat> against the Wolverines, uh, Marquise Wilson started, Joey Porter Jr. started, uh, and they were using Daquan Hardy as the third corner. That meant that for the third straight game, they didn't have Tariq Castro-Fields. Not, not a lot of clarity with regard to his status. He looks good in warm-ups when we get a chance to see him at times. Um, didn't have him. And Keaton Ellis, another mystery disappearance. Two players, I think, that are pretty good players uh, on that defense. And I, don't, I didn't get a – I guess James said that they're hoping they'll have a fourth corner available uh, for Rutgers and possibly a fifth. But he couldn't have been more vague. So what is your read on Penn State's corner situation? And can Penn State get away with playing three corners two weeks in a row? Uh, It's going to be really challenging unless they move Lamont Wade into more of a corner role or they move one of these other safeties into more of a corner role. I just, it's almost miraculous that they got away with it at Michigan. I mean, that kind of tells you how bad this Michigan offense is. You didn't think that after watching them, but yeah, I mean, Tariq Castro Fields and Keaton Ellis, both guys look like they're going to be able to play before the game based on what we can see in warmups. And then, you know, there's been times, especially with Castro Fields where that just isn't the case. So Not sure what's going on there. You know, he made it sound like, you know, again, they feel pretty good about getting one of those guys back without saying who, and they hope they can get both of them back. So we'll see. Um, You know, Ellis didn't play a lot this season until Nebraska. And then, you know, a couple of games later, he's out again. So not sure what's going on there. Time will tell. But yeah, I mean, Rutgers has its own issues with injuries. You know, its starting quarterback is hurt. They played Stakowski and Langdon, I believe his name is, uh, during the win at Purdue. Um, So we'll see if they're full strength. But yeah, it could be a a uh, less than full strength Rutgers passing attack versus a less than full strength <laughs> Penn State secondary on Saturday in Piscataway. Just another storyline, and we'll have to keep in mind here, Bob, as kickoff nears. Yeah, and I, I just want to point out one possibility no longer exists. Um, Trent Gordon, who they moved from corner to safety uh, this offseason, I believe is in the transfer portal. He hadn't played at all at safety, which was a little bit of a head scratcher. But he played corner last year for Penn State in a reserve role. Um, But that is now no longer an option for James Franklin, Brent Pry, and the rest of the defensive coaches. It's unfortunate. Greg, you know, we're we're into week seven. Penn State's one and five. And in a normal year, usually there's a couple of Penn State players by now um, that have either been named Penn State Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week or Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week. I don't think they've had that this year, which speaks to the fact that they just won their first game. But, Greg, they did have the Big Ten Freshman of the Week uh, this week in Kevon Lee, their 230-pounder, who is, you know, technically I think he's their fourth option now when you talk about no Journey Brown, now no no Kane. Devin Ford, who we'll get to a little bit later, unavailable for um, the Michigan game. So they turned to Lee. Um, they used uh, Kaziah Holmes. I think he had 10 carries. They ran their quarterbacks, both of them. Both quarterbacks ran for touchdowns. Sean Clifford started. Will Levis was like a short yardage guy who made some plays. But, you know, James has asked about Kevon Lee. He's kind of a quickly becoming a fan favorite in a season where they've only won once in six games. I can understand that. James talked about his size. He talked about his vision. He also said one of the things that gets overlooked is, you know, he's a guy that always falls forward. And, you know, he even if a there's no hole there. He still finds a way to make a yard or two. And he said that adds up during the course of the game. 
What did you think about Kevon Lee against Michigan? And should we expect another 20-carry game from him, 20-plus carry game uh, against those Scarlet Knights? Well, I think that Penn State's best game plan is going to be to do more more running Bob and less putting Sean Clifford in bad spots where he has to throw the ball a lot. I think that was by far the most important reason why Penn State did not suffer any turnovers in the win at Michigan. But yeah, you know, James Franklin did say Devin Ford is back with the team. Uh, He had a death in the family that took him away from the Lions last week. So they got him back. I believe James said he came back on Sunday. Um, So he's back with the team now. Apparently went through all the COVID stuff and everything's fine there. So um, we'll see how much of a role Devin Ford has now this week. I would expect he'll take some carries away from Lee and from Kaziah Holmes. So maybe not another 20 uh, carry effort from Lee, but I could see 10, 12 for sure, maybe even 14 or 15. I just think that they have to be willing to go with the guy that can get them there. And last week that was Kevon Lee. So if they feel like that, that was not just a product of the offensive line, getting good push against a bad Michigan front, but that Lee was kind of making plays that, maybe weren't there and wouldn't be there for somebody else. And I think they got to keep rolling with him. So we'll see what they decide to do, Bob. I do think though, it feels like that when they use him, the run game just has a little bit more of a spark to it and a little yeah. bit more of a uh, push than what it does when the other guys are in. Absolutely. Let's just uh, circle back to Devin Ford. Uh, you mentioned a death in the family, but Greg, he also left the Iowa game with an injury, an undisclosed injury, I think on the first series. I'm just wondering if he is over that. I think it's, 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 you know, yeah, he left the team. So there was a COVID issue, but also I don't know if he was going to be healthy. I think last week, James said uh, they weren't quite sure if they were going to have him available and maybe he was referring to something other than the injury, but I think there's just a couple of things probably um, in the way of maybe Devin Ford returning to play. Hopefully he will return to play Greg and Kevon Lee. This was, you know, the the, the, uh, the Michigan game, this wasn't really, you know, the first time we said everyone kind of said, well, this guy can play. He had that long touchdown run at Nebraska. Uh, even in the Iowa game, he did some good things. He's able to catch the ball, um, which is, you know, which is important. Both Keziah Holmes and Kevon, they're going to play as long as they can also block, uh, you know, in, in the pass game. Because at some point, Greg, they are going to have to uh, throw the ball a little bit. Greg, you mentioned Sean Clifford not turning the ball over. Neither did Will Levis. But, Greg, it, there's there's still one throw from the Michigan game that has Penn State fans in a bit of a tizzy, and it was a spike. It was a spike uh, when Penn State – I think there was, you know, inside of a minute to go in the first half. Penn, uh, Penn State's up 14-7. They, uh, they recover a fumble. Uh, Drew Hartlob gets a fumble. They get inside. They get a first and goal, Greg, at the Michigan five. They have a timeout left. Penn State spikes the ball on first down. I think they threw an end zone fade that had absolutely no chance of working. And I think on third down, it wasn't an end zone fade, but it ended up with Sean Clifford just sailing the ball out of bounds. A very empty, uh, unsatisfying possession, given the fact that they had a timeout left. They kicked the field goal. It didn't come back to bite him in the butt. But James Franklin was asked by Audrey Snyder of The Athletic, a noted Green Bay Packers fan, uh, a former Penn Live employee and a darn good reporter. Audrey Snyder asked him about the, you know, the end zone fades, the red zone offense, kind of what happened there and how he kind of sees, you know, maybe some of the issues they've had in the red zone. They had two really disappointing red zone drives late at Nebraska as well that, you know, they ended up turning over on downs. 
your thoughts on what James had to say. Well, he said the spike came from the sideline, Bob, which I think we could have all assumed. The question we'll have to ask Kirk Scirocco when he speaks with the Penn State media on Thursday is, was that his call or was that James Franklin's call? Because I think it'll tell you a lot about who, why the red zone issues are happening and kind of how that that power balance works between James Franklin, who obviously was once an offensive coordinator and a guy who probably has his hands on the offense um, as the head coach, and, of course, Kirk Scirocco, who they brought in to fix the problems that ailed their offenses over the last couple of years. So I think that'll be fascinating to hear. But as for the fades, you know, he mentioned that they've had success with those in practice during the lead up to the season and then during camp. And I guess my thought process would be that, you know, if they've been without some of these corners for a while, yeah, I can see why they would have success with those against maybe some guys who are not as experienced playing corner or some guys (laughs) further down the depth chart, but you, you know, he did say it and we'll see if it actually comes to fruition, but the word he used, I believe was we need more variety in the red zone. And I think diversity, diversity diversity that's what it was yes um yeah we need more diversity in the red zone I don't think you'll find anyone who's going to argue with you about that it looks like they get down there and whatever they were doing to get there kind of just completely goes by the wayside and it reverts back to about two or three different plays um so I think diversity is what they need down there and they can get rid of the fades anytime now Bob yeah and I think another problem is they just I I I just think they have Penn State's offensive coaching staff, I would like them just to be a little bit more aware of their personnel in the passing game. You know, other than he, other than the Ohio State game when, uh, you know, when uh, Jahan Dotson just really uh, did was he was a magician on some contested catches against Sean Wade. And he caught, I think, three touchdowns, eight catches, 144 yards. I think he had one against Iowa as well. But I just don't know if their receivers – are built to win a lot of 50-50 balls or those fades. You know, it, it's not like they have, you know, Pat Fryermuth's out. Um, you know, they don't have Mike Kosicki. They don't have Chris Godwin. Um, I just think that I, they're, they're not the biggest receiving group uh, that Penn State's ever had. Jahan Dotson is a, is a very good receiver, but he's not a necessarily a guy that's just going to win 50-50 balls all the time. He's not the biggest player. Parker Washington had a great game, nine catches, I think, for 93 yards, but he's a slot guy that's – you know, he's a little on the, on the short side, quite frankly, a talented player, but that's not his specialty either, Greg. And no fryer moves. I just wonder, you know, do they really have the, the skill, the weaponry to run those routes in the red zone to win those 50-50 balls? Might they be better served, you know, playing to the strengths of the receivers that they have? Yeah, it almost feels like at times, Bob, that they want – like, you know how Kirk Straka when he got here, said it was going to be a mixture of what Penn State did well and what Minnesota did well? It feels like that they're trying to do this, like, mix mash at times of things that may have worked well at Minnesota or may have worked well at Penn State and not really playing to, to your point, the strength of their team and the strength of the players they have right now without Journey Brown, without Noah Kane, without – Pat Fryer moves. So yeah, I agree. I agree with you. I think there's some ways they can get these guys involved in ways that make more sense. But I also wonder too, if there's not an element of it that, 
you know, a guy like Isaac Luntz gets involved because maybe in practice he's the one doing all the little things right. And maybe they aren't getting enough of the little things right in practice. And that's why they're not using some of these guys the way we envisioned it. I don't know. It's just a, a speculation. But there has to be some reason Isaac Luntz, a guy who was a walk-on, was involved more than some of the higher recruited guys yeah. that uh, are at this position group. So I think that bears worth watching too. But, you know, between Dodson, Parker, Washington, I mean, they have a start of some playmakers there. But you're right. There's probably a better way they can use those guys moving forward. Yeah. And I think we should also mention that, you know, before the season started, maybe coming, even coming out of spring, I know they didn't have spring practice, but I know you and I constantly talked about, boy, we're really excited to see what John Dunmore can do uh, as a receiver or, you know, TJ Jones was atop the depth chart for the spring that never was. And, you know, John Dunmore left the team before the season started. I, I believe he's back in Florida a very highly recruited kid who everyone wanted in the South. I was excited to see him. They don't have him. TJ Jones, I think made an appearance early in the season for one game. We haven't really seen him since, and it doesn't seem like they're in a hurry to go back to him. A lot of talk about Cam Sullivan Brown, I think before the first game. And for whatever reason that hasn't come to pass, they've, they, they, they've re- they're really just a two receiver offense and it's, it's Parker uh, and it's Jahan Dotson, and now we saw a little bit of Lutz, but we're not seeing Keandre Lambert-Smith. We're not seeing some of those other guys that we had heard, and you just wonder kind of what's going on. We don't know about their health. We don't know about maybe if they're not, they're not doing things that the new receivers coach, Taylor Stubblefield, wants to see from them, but it just really hasn't developed into the passing game that maybe we anticipated because of uh, a variety of circumstances. And when there's only a couple games left, Greg, you have to think that it's nothing is really going to change. I think um, in the, the the remainder of the regular season. And if they ever play that, that champions week game against somebody from the big 10 West uh, we'll just have to see, but it just seems like it's a two receiver show and that's what they're going to, they're going to ride the horses they trust and it's going to be Parker and it's going to be Jahan Dotson. Uh, Greg, I, I wanted to ask you one thing. Uh, before I ask you this one thing, though, I know that we're halfway through this podcast and I'm rambling, but it's the Blue White Breakdown with Bob Flounders and Greg Pickle. And Greg, just tell the listeners, once I shut up, um, what they can do, where they can go to see this, uh, to listen to it, and how they can kind of review and rate us. Yeah, Bob, they can find the Blue White Breakdown, both the daily installments from Dustin Hawkinsmith and the extended versions from you, Dave Jones, and I, wherever they find their audio, Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere else that podcasts are found, you can find the Blue White Breakdown, and we're also on YouTube at youtube.com slash State. That's where the video version goes. So what do you got for me? Yeah, so I, I hate to be, I hate to be uh, uh, a little bit ne- – I'm just wondering about this Michigan game. And, yes, Penn State won 27 to 17 the defense held Michigan under 300 yards. Uh, Michigan converted, I think, just four of 12 third downs. They were one of three on fourth down. Um, you know, James talked about the grit that they showed. And obviously, when you win at Michigan and you're Penn State, it's a big deal. They hadn't won there since 2009. But, Greg, I'm just going to say this. Did Penn State catch a break when Caden McNamara hurt his shoulder and his collarbone on that uh, that first half touchdown drive because it sure looked like that Michigan passing game uh, that you saw them make a lot of plays against Rutgers, but it was Rutgers. It just didn't look like there wasn't much oomph in that, in that uh, Michigan passing game. And it didn't really look like McNamara could really kind of stretch the field against the Penn state secondary that only had 
three corners. They tried Joe Milton, but he had he you know he had had plenty of chances earlier this year and had not looked great anyway. Are we making too much of the step forward the Penn State defense took because of the quarterback play uh, at Michigan, or or should we just give them credit for for you know getting off the field and holding Michigan under three hundred yards? Yeah, I mean, I think there's uh, you can have a balance, right? I mean, I think that you can on one hand say that this defense played probably one of the better games and did so while it was shorthanded. I think you can also say that whole man was at Michigan offense bad and you have to make that a part of the story. I don't think there's any question, but you know, this is not the first bad offense Penn state has faced this year. And to its credit, unlike in the past, it did not put uh, it did not make an opposing quarterback who was not a all American look like an all American for extended stretches. So I think, you know, there is something to be said about that, especially playing down three corners. So, or a down with, with only three corners down a couple of guys uh, due to injury and everything else. So, yeah, I, I do think that Kate McNamara, if healthy would have probably tested this group a little bit more. There's no doubt, but you know, it ultimately, again, we've seen Penn state, uh, play some guys and play some offenses that are not, you know, not great. And they weren't able to stop those guys. So the fact that they were able to stop this version of not great, I think you have to count it as a step in the right direction. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's, let's move the conversation a little bit to a look ahead uh, this year. So they started on five, they got the first one, they're one in five. Um, Greg, is there a path and it would Penn state fans get excited about this? Do you think if they could somehow, there, I, there might be a path, Greg, that they could get to 500. It seems like a long shot, and it almost seems like an impossibility, but if they would beat Rutgers, if they would close the regular season at home with their first home win against Michigan State, that would get them to three to five, three and five, excuse me. They are supposed to be playing uh, a Champions Week game against a team from the Big Ten West I don't know if that is still in play. That would be a ninth game. And Greg, I think that I think college football and the NCAA came out at the, st- <clears throat> at the start of this COVID pandemic season and said there isn't, you know, if, to, to qualify for a bowl game, I don't necessarily think you have to have a winning record. So, Greg, if Penn State is sitting there at four and five, and there's a bowl game out there that wants him, uh, a should Penn State accept? And B, if they get if they get to five and five and rattle off five wins in a row, how does that maybe change the look of this season? I'm not trying to get ahead of ourselves. I just think they're going to be favored probably in the last two or three games they play for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think that ultimately one question that has not been answered yet, but so there's no win qualification or win limit, you know, whatever, however you want to put it in terms of getting to a bowl game. So is everyone going to be allowed to practice whether they get in or not? I mean, because I think you could make the argument that, you know, if you're a team who would typically have qualified for a bowl or be on the cusp of doing so, I think you can make the case that, hey, because all these games got canceled, we're missing out on an opportunity for practice because we didn't get, you know, yeah. some other team got picked over we did. It has the same record as us. So I will be curious to see if that comes into play. I mean, can Penn State still make a bowl game? Yes. The problem, though, is that a lot of the lower tier Big Ten bowls have been canceled now. So there's already a lack of spots there compared to what there would normally be. So I would still say it's probably pretty unlikely, but even if they don't get there, Bob, I do think that you could see the development practices be allowed for any program that doesn't make a bowl game. Maybe they only get 10 instead of 15 or whatever it is, Um, you know, but I could see them getting some just to sort of replicate what they missed for spring practice and everything else. 
Yeah, the only problem I would say, Greg, is, um, you know, the, the Big Ten Champions Week, I believe it's the weekend of December 19th. Does that sound right? And so, you know, these, a lot of these kids uh, and a lot of these coaches have been, you know, on campus since June. I don't know that, if, I don't know, maybe they did go home briefly, but <clears throat> with the holiday coming up and they're kind of just under living in like a, a fishbowl and a quarantine fishbowl, essentially, you know, do you really want to try and practice, you know, over Christmas break or Christmas week when you've kind of essentially just been up there? Uh, you haven't seen friends and family. You haven't been allowed to really do a lot of things with friends and family. Um, I know that they didn't have a spring practice. I just wonder, you know, what if it really makes sense to to do this um, during a time like this? Maybe, maybe, Greg, they come back and say, you know, in the spring, we're going to, instead of uh, having 15 practices, you're allowed to have, you know, 25. And it's a, it's a six weeks or seven weeks of spring practice. I just wonder if there's any, if kids really, you know, they, I think, I think football coaches um, and I think parents and I think players, uh, administrator staff, they, they've given up a lot, I think, to get this season kind of shoehorned in and you can see it, you look around and games are still getting canceled left and right. And, you know, teams aren't playing their full allotment of games. I just wonder maybe, you know, is if Penn state would get to four and five, a, do they really need to practice and do they really want to play a game against another four and five team or they just kind of want to, you know, get, get back to what's really important and see, and see, see your family. Yeah. I think you're hundred percent right, Bob. I think that that would be a pretty challenging task to say, okay, we got to this point. Now let's fly one night before the cheese it bowl and yeah. go play in that. I mean, yeah. this season has been tough as it is. And I agree with you. If you're not in the playoff, if you're not even, you know, again, the bowl experience, it's warm weather. You're supposed to be able to go out and see some different things. You're not going to be able to do any right. of that this year. You know, you're going to be stuck at the hotel unless you're at practice. So yeah, what is the point? That's a good question. And I don't think Penn State's going to have to worry about it, but there will be some teams that are, and I'll be curious to see how they handle it. All right, Greg, before we wrap this up, we're getting very close to wrapping up this Rutgers edition of the Blue White Breakdown. Anything else strike your fancy, either from James Franklin's uh, Tuesday press conference, or did you learn or glean any info from Greg Schiano's uh, <clears throat> media session uh, this week? And also, I'm going to ask you anyway, because you're a man that knows your way around a point spread. I know a lot of people know that about you. I know that about you. Penn State minus 10 early thoughts. Yeah, a couple of them. Uh, Obviously, Shiano said that uh, Penn State and Rutgers are not rivals at this point because the series has been a blowout so often for so long. So that was good to hear. Uh, Point (laughs) spread thoughts. I mean, Penn State covered it last. I mean, honestly, I think Rutgers is a, just a little bit better than Michigan. I mean, Mich- at least they're – Shiano said at least have them care. I don't know if Michigan cares anymore. So I would not be quick to take the points in the, or lay the points in this instance. I could see Penn State kind of winning the same way it did at Michigan, a 10-point game, something in that ballpark. And I don't think I'd want to lay the points. I don't know if I trust this team yet to do that. Uh, and then, you know, James Franklin was asked, Michigan, Bob, as we talked about this on Tuesday, is going to do volu- or virtual workouts and stuff again today. 
because they had some COVID problems out there following the Penn State game. James Franklin didn't make it sound like that has caused any problems for Penn State, but did make note of the fact that obviously this is a challenging year and that things can change pretty much as a drop of a hat. So I don't anticipate that impacting Penn State this week, but as always, we'll have to wait and see. All right, guys, we will be back. Uh, hopefully I'll be back on Thursday with uh, some thoughts from David Jones. And uh, Greg and I will be chatting. No, maybe I'll be talking with Dave on Saturday as well. I can never tell with that guy. But we will be back later this week. Thanks for uh, watching and thanks for listening.